Gonna Make It, a monthly podcast about art and artistry. Except when it's about cooking. I I thought we resolved this. Cooking is art. Eh, pfft, whatever. I'm still bitter because you won. I think I think we're pretty early in this episode to be losing it this badly. Can we get whatever. back topic? Welcome to We're Gonna Make It. Yay, we're gonna make it. So, okay, Moss, mm-hmm. Moss. Yeah. I have a problem. I have a problem. Aside from losing in the in the cooking podcast. That's not a problem. That's just a, a fact, unfortunately. That's right. Um, there are no pictures of me, ever. Oh, right. So as, as you know, Moss, because you were there, we uh, just got back from Mexico. That was good. And there's, like, nothing of me. I always take the pictures, and I'm always like, everybody, group shot, and, and I'm never in them. I brought a camera to Mexico just to take pictures of you. I brought a second camera. Yes, you did. And? Well, I didn't go back to the room very much. I didn't, I mean, I didn't have it on me when I was doing yeah. things. Ever? Yeah, ever. How many pictures overall would you say you took? Do you mean, it like, through our lives? Nope, on this trip. None. Yep. Yeah. You get in pictures. Other people take pictures. You can be in the periphery. There's always these pictures of you taking pictures of other people, and you're kind of standing off to the side. Yeah. Let me list what I found so far. There's me holding up the camera, taking pictures. Yes. It's a good one. There's, good. Yeah. There's the one that's half of my face. There's the one where I'm eating. Yeah. And then there's the one where I have that weird kind of half blurry, like, Muppet expression going on. <laughs> I love that. I, You know what? I don't take pictures of you because I just want to behold your radiant majesty on an individual scale. Why should I share the image of your beauty with the world? Taylor, I'm covetous. Cameras will steal your soul? But while you're all enjoying my beauty, the rest of the world's like, hey, look, a Muppet. It's mysterious. Sucks. This week... On we're gonna make it. You know it's a monthly show, right? Fuck! I, I, it just sounds it sounds so natural. I just always want to say this week. So this week and um and for the three weeks that will follow this week, I guess we are going to present a snapshot meh, meh. of the foremost artistic medium of the 20th century. This episode we look at photography. photography. What was that? It's a camera sound. I can make sound effects too. Oh, that's, that's cute. That's good. Yeah. <clears throat> so photography is an extremely prolific medium. Um, <laughs> photography is an extremely prolific medium. It is all around us. Can, can you stop? I'm d- photography is all around us. It is one of the most easily accessible art forms that we know. Just about everybody has a camera, and these days it's just easier and easier to take hundreds or thousands of photos and quickly sort them digitally. Dark rooms and development labs 
no longer stand between the public and photographic art and websites. Ah, fine. You can do the speech. You want to do the speech? Sure. Do the speech. And websites like Flickr or even Facebook make it easy for any wet-eared first-timer. Right? <laughs> Fuck, this is hard. Why would you give me the hard sentence? You know, this was a great speech when I first wrote it. Super insightful. Do you want me to do it? No, get away. And websites like Flickr or even Facebook make it easy for any wet-eared first-timer to develop an audience. So to address this genre of art that has such a mass of contributors, we decided to form our own small army of artists. We'll be speaking with six photographers. Taylor, we didn't, we didn't get six. We got five. We got five. The sixth canceled. So the sixth, five. the sixth is the spirit of photography. We don't ask it any questions. It's just there. So yes, we'll be speaking with five photographers today. We hope to draw a bit of information about why photography is such an appealing medium and learn a bit about their experiences and motivations. Ladies and gentlemen, we give you the photographers. Now, because of the number of guests that we have, we're going to do things a little bit differently today. Uh, we've got five artists to introduce you to. The interviews will be brief, and after each one, we'll do a photo challenge that's been given to us by that artist. In other words, we'll be building a portfolio of our own work based on the suggestions of our five artists. Who will, of course, also be our five judges. Some are professionals and some are amateurs. Some of them are artists and some simply appreciate the skill inherent in photography. But all of them together make for a well-rounded view of the most prevalent visual art in the Western world. Our first artist is a fellow well-known in Victoria art circles. He is... Andrew Dodd Clippingdale. And he is a man of many talents. I am a photographer, a filmmaker, and a graphic designer, and I run my own uh, company called Dodd's Eye Media. Andrew has always been an artistic person, but it wasn't until recently that he became embroiled in the high-octane world of underground drift racing. Photography. Sorry, photography. The high-octane world of photography. My history with photography started uh, with my friend Oliver. Uh, I casually dropped to him during a dinner conversation that I, that I used to be very into film and, and editing, and that I'd kind of would love to get back into that. At which point he, he very generously proposed that he purchase me equipment in exchange for me making a series of videos for his business. Uh, in researching that equipment, I found that sort of modern DSLR or picture cameras were actually also the best video cameras on the market at the time for, you know, under $10,000. So I, I picked up a digital camera with the intent of doing film with it and started taking pictures with it because I have a $2,000 camera now. Why not start taking some pictures? Uh, and found that I both enjoyed it and people were telling me that I was making great pictures. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty high praise. So, yes. so you doing your photography was kind of incidental to you doing your film. Mm -hmm. Is photography something that you've become more passionate about, though, on its own? It's, it's frequently the thing that I'm doing the most these days, event photography or promotional photography for folks. But even though he was interested in film first... There's something compelling about still images to Andrew. Well, what interests me about photography, I guess, is is capturing the moment in a different way than I would to say through film. And I've actually been told that my photography has a I have a very filmmaker's eye for photography and that I'll, I'll do stranger things like uh, I like to take pictures of people's backs a lot, which is kind of a very big no in photography. But I like sort of capturing people like looking at things or my ten yeah my tendency is sort of is to sort of paint as a scene with my photos rather than sort of capture a specific subject within a photo that's really interesting i like lots of like weird angles and depth 
macro photography, for instance, it's very like close up photos of things and catching strange details and say like wire mesh. And since Andrew is largely an event photographer, he uses that cinematic perspective to capture natural human interactions as well. I almost exclusively take candid shots right now. Like I don't really like posing people for things. I mean, I, I enjoy taking like inanimate objects and creating nice compositions. But like I say, I do a lot of event photography. So I like to sort of capture the stories of what's going on at that event. In looking at other photographers who do sort of similar stuff, there's just lots of them like grabbing two people and putting them together and, hey, smile for this. And like, here's the people we're at that were at this event. Whereas I like to say, like, here's what these people were doing. Yeah. So is that something that you look for in uh, in photography? If you're looking at a different artist's photos, are you looking for sort of natural, organic picture taking? Artists who can combine sort of posing people and making it look organic, I, I respect a lot because I'm actually very bad at posing people. I feel like I'm, I'm <laughs> putting upon them, like, stop what you're doing and let's all take this awkward picture for two minutes. Mm -hmm. Whereas other photographers are very smooth about doing that, very able to... To sort of loosen people up very quick, and that's sort of a skill I haven't developed yet. So, it I sounds it sounds like you prefer a non-invasive form of photography. Yeah, exactly, and that, I, I think that's the sort of more my personality. Is this something that you would do full time if you could swing it? I would totally do it. As I, I said earlier, I it's probably the thing I do the most right now, but I, it's probably the thing I've also been paid the least to do. <laughs> But, yeah, you get to meet all kinds of interesting people. Showing up at an event with a camera is almost just like a free ticket in 98% <laughs> of the time. So you get to go to all sorts of interesting places and venues and events and really just explore and, and get to tell the story of what's going on. Andrew is a talented photographer, even if he may be a little humble at times due to his relatively new foothold in the industry. I really I don't know a lot about photography. <laughs> I kind of just do it, and then people are just like, that's really good. <laughs> I don't know why it's, why it's that good. <laughs> the people aren't lying. Andrew's photos are good. Despite what he says, he definitely knows what he's doing. The evidence of it is in his work, which you can find at facebook.com slash media. That's D-O-D-D-S-E-Y-E media. So, after interviewing Andrew, I asked him to give us a photo challenge. <laughs> what was it? So, my photo assignment is to go out and emulate what, uh, what I'm told is my signature style, which is a very cinematic style of photography. So, either through posing people or through finding a scene just out in the world, tell a story through your photo. Huh. Really? This is, this is going to be harder than I thought. I have no idea what to do. Did you anticipate that people were going to give us challenges like this? I thought it would be like, <laughs> take a picture of a tree. And it's like, All right, I can find a tree. No problem. Take a picture of a dog. Take a picture of a baby. Take a picture of a baby with a dog. Mm -hmm. And I thought it was going to be hard enough to find a baby. If you can find a baby with a dog, that tells a story. <laughs> I mean, that's, there's something sort of cinematic about that. I don't know where to find a baby or a dog. Well, we're not going to find one if we don't try, Taylor. Let's go find a baby, and let's go find a dog. It's time for us to hit the road and get this contest also on the road with us. All right. So we're kind of out in the world doing our photography thing. 
We're just looking for scenes. We're just looking for stuff that looks good. But fortunately, we're not going in totally blind, because Andrew did give us a couple hints. He gave us some advice on how to how to how to take good pictures. Thankfully, I, I was thinking I was going to go with the rule of thirds, actually. So one of the most important fundamentals of photography is composition, where the eye goes in the picture, and having everything placed in a pleasing manner in the picture. Like you can you can tell if, if someone's awkwardly in the frame, and there's just something about looking at it that your your mind will be like, mm, that's not a great picture. The trick to good composition is uh, actually something I picked up from a filmmaker's perspective is the, is the rule of thirds, which is breaking up your picture into thirds, so a, a three by three grid basically, and you want to make sure the subject of your photo falls somewhere on that grid, uh, whether it be the eyes appearing in the top third of the picture or their face in the top corner within the within the lines of the grid. You're breaking it into a nine square grid, and then where those grid points meet are are the sort of the prime focal points of of the picture, or like along the lines of that grid. Uh, I tend to go towards like the corners of the grid rather than the center of the image. With like a face, for instance, it can be in the middle, but you say you want the eyes to be sitting on the line of the grid. Okay, so like what if I just wanted to take a really good picture of like a flower? I mean, that in that case, to center it. Uh, <laughs> that's, that's pretty much, you know, if, if, it's a, if it's two things, say that you, you want like the flower at one point of the grid and then at the other, but or, or even try and find, you know, a particularly interesting part of the flower. Driving, and I just saw a little kid in the back seat of a car, and he just looked terrified. And I got a picture of him, and that is perfect. Except, except I'm looking at it now, and I'm not sure if it's if it's a good picture. Like it's not lined up according to the law of thirds. Uh, you know, it's it's kind of a little bit out of focus. So I don't know. Yeah, you basically you just want to avoid having things sitting awkwardly in the frame. There's something about a bad picture that you can look at it and you just sort of get a feeling that this picture looks awkward. This picture looks awkward. Okay, so we drove up the hill to try and get some landscape shots um, and I found horses. So I'm going to try and get a picture of the horses and maybe get like the town in the background because I feel like it looks like kind of an old western movie. It's all cinematic and, and and movies have stories so the horses are probably doing something right they're telling a story in their own way as you can tell our first outing was perhaps a little rough our materials were a little crude as well we were each using a simple point-and-shoot digital camera Taylor uses a Samsung MV800. It's not a bad camera, it's 16 megapixels and it has a swiveling screen so that you can take shots from odd angles. But it also uses a touchscreen, which Taylor is completely helpless to operate. I use Taylor's old Sony CyberShot, which is 12 megapixels, but it's still a pretty competent little camera. We've both turned the automation off as much as possible so that we can make manual adjustments, but we're still a long way from being professionals. But I mean, that's why we bring them in. Our second guest is Christy Westendorp. Hello. A lifestyle photographer who operates out of the greater Victoria area in South Vancouver Island. I shoot under Christy Westendorp Photography right now, um, but I don't have a website up or anything because I am officially on quote-unquote maternity leave, although I can't manage to not book stuff anyways. When she started, Christy taught herself photography by starting simple. 
I've, I bought a point and shoot uh, probably six years ago now and decided to start, um, start learning about composition and what makes a good photo. I think it was actually a good thing to focus on that before uh, learning how to, you know, figure out exposure and stuff like that. I just kind of focused on playing around a lot with like more interesting angles you know, what's aesthetically pleasing to the eye in an image. And I, and I did a lot of weird um, experimenting with, oh, look, I can make one thing color in this camera. <laughs> <laughs> you know, thankfully, I've grown past there. But um, that's where it started. And then I bought a, a Sony uh, digital SLR not too long after that. So I've been doing this photography journey for probably, you know, just over five years now um, I'm not good with time, <laughs> so I may be underestimating that. And um, the business of it, uh, you know, maybe four years probably when I started um, doing boudoir photography at the time, and then um, more family and kids stuff for the past probably two years. What does that even mean, boudoir photography? Tasteful underwear pictures of ladies, <laughs> for the most part. Um, just kind of more like glamour photos, you know, it was often like a Valentine's Day present, engagement present, or I just had a baby and I want to feel good about how I look kind of thing. You know, women would, you know, get their makeup done and come over and I'd take pictures of them in their underwear, um, which is less scandalous than it sounds. Why did you sort of lead out with this? Why was this your target demographic? Aside from the fact that it's fantastic and, and <laughs> amazing. I like uh, looking at ladies in their underwear. You know, I think the market's so saturated with photography. You have to do something a bit different in order to stand out. Like, I didn't just want to be another photographer in a sea of people just doing photography. So I wanted to find a niche. I think that was important. I had just had a um, baby myself, and I know that women often kind of look at the magazines and compare themselves, and so I kind of realized that, you know, a lot of that is photography trickery and um, shooting women from pleasing angles at their best, and uh, I just kind of wanted, you know, to make women realize that, you know, they could look like that woman in the magazine, and the majority of it is uh, just a, a flattering photo. So it was, you know, kind of came at it from a more than just a photography perspective, but also just, you know, wanting women to feel good about themselves. I really love doing boudoir photography. And I actually I did a workshop called the Boudoir Divas and I did a workshop in Paris with them. Paris? I know this is seriously the most artisty artist we've had on the show. But now, that sexy stuff is over. Converting her bedroom into a boudoir studio, well... She used her bedroom? (laughs) It isn't really an option anymore, now that she has a three-year-old and a newborn. So, um, it's just kind of been the natural progression of where I am in life right now that I'm doing the family photography and more... um, I did a newborn mentorship, and I'd like to get more into specializing in newborns eventually, because that's kind of a an art in and of itself, newborn photography, almost more like still life photography than portraiture. Christy really knows her stuff, too. As a mother, she knows what's important for a family photographer. To me, it's less about the right rules or composition other than seeing the truth of who that person is in the photo. And I find that especially important for connecting with parents and photos of their children. They want to see who their kid really is. And it's a challenge because 
almost everyone has digital cameras now and kids get really used to having their photos taken. And so they bring out the cheese smile and they want to see the back of the camera right away. So to me, I can tell when I've got that moment where they've forgotten that I'm there with the camera and they're just playing with their mom or being themselves. Christy's work is amazing, and rightly so, since she takes it very seriously. I am a full-time professional photographer. It's just that being a full-time professional photographer isn't like your standard Monday to Friday 9 to 5 job, but that is my pretty much sole income. So, yeah, I am doing that now, but at this point, you know, if I didn't have a partner who had a salary job with benefits and such, um, I wouldn't be able to do it at this point. But definitely with this, like I see the saturation in the market where if someone has the, you know, a DSLR camera, then they'll often do $50 photo shoots kind of thing. It is hard to charge what you need to charge to make it a sustainable living. But um, so what does it take? to actually be a professional photographer? I don't know if I have the answer to that, or I probably make more money than I do, but uh, <laughs> it's not enough to be just a good photographer. You also have to be a good marketer and you know do all of these other areas of business. And if I were to outsource all of those kinds of things, then no one could afford me. <laughs> so <laughs> you, you have to, in addition to taking great photos, you have to also know how to get people to see those photos and, it's, I guess, see themselves in your brand and a number of other things that are, you know, definitely a challenge for, I think, for most people who are artists. Because I would love to be able to just take everyone's picture for free, but the equipment itself is expensive and I have babies that need, you know, food and cute clothes and stuff. <laughs> As she said, Christy doesn't currently have a business website up, since she's focusing on her super cute kids right now. But soon enough, you'll be able to find her at Christy Weston Dorp Photography, and maybe see a little bit of that boudoir material. It is safe for work. It's not nearly as racy as you might imagine. It just never is, somehow. Okay, so this will be interesting. What does Christy have cooked up for us? Well, <clears throat> um, I would like you to photograph each other. What? Touching back on what I said, what stands out and makes a beautiful picture to me is to capture the true self. I want you to take true photos of each other. What? 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 Moss, what does your true self look like? <laughs> oh my god. Do I have to like surprise you in the shower or something? Like how do you how do you catch someone? What in the goddamn is <laughs> We're at war. We are in competition against each other. How am I gonna take a picture of you and make it be like authentic and natural and true self? I'll tell you something right now. Yeah. My true self does not have my tongue sticking out. Every picture you get will have my tongue sticking out. <laughs> oh, fuck! <laughs> Christy! She just, well, she has lost both of us this competition. Nobody wins. It's a draw. Super loss. I've always felt like your true self really came out when you were asleep. No, but then you don't get a little something that Christy is about to teach us right now. 
something I thought that you could work on in your own um, work, especially if you're photographing people or not especially, but only if you're photographing people because it doesn't apply to anything else, um, is looking for light in the eyes. So there's a term called catch lights. It refers to highlights, like the light refracting in, in a subject's eyes. And uh, when I'm taking portraits, especially of children, that's something I'm always looking for. So that's something where I'll have them turn their head slightly so that I make sure that I have that light in their eyes. And it, it doesn't necessarily mean that they, the light has to be directly. You can use something as a reflector. Like they could be backlit, which is more challenging. But if the light is reflecting off of another surface, like the sidewalk or a white wall, you'll still see those um, little catch lights in their eyes. And it's kind of like if you ever see um, like an anime drawing when they draw the eyes, there's always the there's always that kind of little that little googly glimmer. Right. Yeah. And that just gives that so much more depth. And a, a little trick is if you're ever doing portraiture and you want a built in reflector, if you wear a white T-shirt, you'll actually have a built in reflector that you'll see the, the light bounce off of your shirt and into your subject's eyes. So that's kind of a neat hack on it. Hold still. <laughs> Hold still. No. <laughs> Hold still. No, no, don't put, put your tongue back in your face. Fine, okay. No, this isn't this isn't working. Okay, my turn. Turn around. Turn around. No, you no. can't. I'm holding a camera. I know. You're, put it down. You're not gonna get a picture of me taking a picture of you. Stop moving. That is gonna be so Stop trite. Stop moving. Oh, very very clever. Put <laughs> a picture of someone taking a picture of me. This isn't working. <laughs> I'm gonna have to, I'm gonna have to ambush you when you're not expecting. This is gonna be like the green hornet. What? No, no, wait, no, the other one. This is gonna be like the pink panther. Uh, I don't know. No, like I'm I'm like the assistant that's been hired to just attack you at random <laughs> times. Friggin. I, I think we're going with a picture of Moss sleeping. Watch out. Um, we don't sit for portraits as much anymore because we have cell phone pictures and there's constant photos. So if you can actually get that, you know, that one shot, like as if you didn't have your photo taken 45 times on an iPhone last week. I think it's, you know, it's cool to have around. This is a weird dilemma that we're in because we want to take a good picture of the other person and the other person actually wants us to take a good picture of them because then they look good in the picture that we put up on the internet. So we're actually past the phase where we're trying to actively sabotage each other and now we're kind of into trying to make sure that the other person gets the most glamorous, fantastic shot. I don't currently like the contender that Taylor has taken. I have no idea how to make Moss stop looking like such a goon. Some would say that's my natural face, and that you're being extremely offensive right now. I just need him to look, hmm, I don't know, normal. That'd be nice. I use this one in boudoir a lot. Um, you can have someone do a fake laugh, like ask them to go ha 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 over their shoulder back towards you, and um, it looks really silly, but usually right after you do that, you get a really genuine smile because they feel awkward. It's not about the thing you ask them to do. It's about the moment afterwards. And you kind of catch that, um, oh, aren't we silly moment. Ha 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 ha. Ha 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 ha
I can kind of see some light in your eyes. That's good. Yeah, I can see a lot of light in my eyes. I hope my tears from being blinded moisten your artwork appropriately. That's gross. <laughs> we don't want that. <laughs> can just, I click away? Just just relax. Talk about, like, text adventures or something. I am currently flying Sherlock Holmes and the case of the crown jewels. Maybe the riddle. I don't remember what it's called. Next up, we step away from the professional world of photography. So you've interviewed two professionals, and now you're going to talk to me. We have a couple of amateur photographers who know a lot about the art, but take a more relaxed approach to it. Hi, I'm Ali. I'm a public servant with the government of British Columbia. I guess I first kind of got into photography when I was about 13, uh, because my dad gave me an old camera that he owned. He gave me his Canon AE-1. So I had this camera for years and I kind of just looked at it and did nothing with it because I didn't know how to use it. And then in high school, I took a photography class in grade 11 or 12. And I actually went and got my high school yearbook out today because I could not remember that teacher's name because <laughs> he looked like Ozzy Osbourne. <laughs> so you just know him as Ozzy Osbourne. Everyone just called him Ozzy. But his <laughs> actual name turns out to be Mr. Singer. That's appropriate. There was no like lesson plan to that class. I was this whole thing made me really think back to what got me into photography and I started thinking about this class and why I liked it. And I think it was just learning through doing photography. And then the whole class turned into a dark room. Huh. Yeah, we got to spend our time taking and developing pictures. I mean, I thought originally that photography would be great for me because I needed an art credit in high school, and I thought it might be for people who can't draw or paint. <laughs> uh, but it, the class turned out to be really great, and I do credit it with introducing me to something that I came to truly love. Mr. Singer, a.k.a. Osborne, would also get Allie her first job. A job <laughs> okay, no, 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 you, you silly, lame girl. <laughs> They called him Ozzy, not Osborne. <laughs> Mr. Osborne! No, that is the Green Goblin. <laughs> Just Fine. please continue. Mr. Singer, a.k.a. Mr. Ozzy, would also get Allie her first job, a job that would give her time with the side of photography that she came to adore most. Yeah, he, uh, he had a good friend who owned a professional photography shop and so I got a job there working as a printer and thinking about it, it might have been the most enjoyable job I ever had. Uh, but I would work at Bernie's and I just spent my day with these guys in their early 20s who were really invested in photography as a craft. And, you know, I'm largely self-taught when it comes to photography, but at the same time, I did learn a lot from working with those guys. Allie's work at the photo lab became pivotal to her interest in photography. My main interest in it was actually developing film. For a long time, I think I took pictures so that I could spend time in the darkroom. I mean, when I was working at Bernie's, I got to develop and print all my own film. Um, I had total creative license, you know, to process my slide film through like a regular processor and like do all kinds of wacky stuff. And even in university, I worked in a, in a photography store again, I spent a lot of time in the darkroom at university. I think that part of photography is actually my true love. But photography has changed quite a bit, even just in the last 10 years. I had a lot of trouble coming to appreciate digital photography. It meant that you don't need a darkroom anymore, and you don't need print technicians. I mean, sure, you can still go to Walmart and have film printed, but it's not the same. 
it seems like a bit of a, a lost art at times. But hmm. I just realized that this this is making me sound super old. So, <laughs> Allie, how old are you? 93. <laughs> <laughs> now, obviously, Allie saw a lot of pictures when she worked at the lab. Uh, I'd say a photo resonates with me when it makes my mind go to someplace else, like when I associate it with something, whether that's like a past memory. Uh, particularly, I like photos that make me wonder about the people who took them. I think there's something really honest about photography. Pictures, I think pictures can't lie in a lot of ways. Um, there's an honesty to capturing a moment. I don't know if that makes sense, but that's how I feel about it. There was this guy who would come in like once a week with a single roll of film. And then there would always be one shot of just his hat in a landscape. It would just be somewhere in, you know, the 24 pictures he took. Yep. His hat next to like a tree or on a stool. I worked there for two years, and it was always the same hat. That's great, though, because clearly he's doing something. He's up to something. Yeah, but I never knew what it was. I just imagined at home he had this crazy collection of pictures of his hat, like, (laughs) over time. Uh, But I also thought it was kind of sad. Like, it made me wonder. Like, he never had pictures of grandchildren. I just kind of always wondered, like, does he see his hat as a person? Is it, like, filling something in his life? You, you kind of start to wonder about people when they have habits like that, I guess. Oh, were there nudies? Oh, obviously. Uh, she told me about some guy's fishing trip. And then the last two pictures were the guy naked in a bathtub with a live fish. You got weird stuff like that. And I mean, I was 18 when I started there. And my favorite thing to do was to make those people have to pay for their pictures from me. Just so that you could see them and look them in the eye. And they always got super embarrassed. Like, oh, gosh. A young teenage girl saw my penis. <laughs> oh, man. It's, it's almost like they took those pictures and then forgot about the fact that someone had to turn the film into pictures. It, it's amazing to watch people have that moment of like, oh, oh, man. But weird junk aside. Literally. Allie does miss the old days of photo labs. I mean, this was back when to touch up dust on a picture, you actually had like a paintbrush. Wow. And like a palette. I don't know, I miss, I miss that. Like, I miss the surprise of, oh, I started taking these pictures weeks ago. I forgot what was on the start of this roll of film. And then you develop it and you find out. Yeah, there is something sort of enchanting about it, isn't there? Yeah, yeah. It's so strange to think that we're not yet 30, and yet we can still have nostalgia for the days of our youth. Film canisters and photo labs were so recent, and yet they're completely vacant in the mainstream world of today. It also makes you remember that we're not just talking to artists here, but also to craftsmen and craftswomen like Allie and all the others who used to live in the darkroom. You ready to hear what Allie has for us? I like Allie. I know it's I know it's going to be good. Oh yeah, you'll be delighted. Take a photo that epitomizes a Soyuz to you. A Soyuz is the town where Taylor and I live. It's a weird little desert community in South BC. Lots of wine and heat. Oh, and I'm going to add on to that. That somehow incorporates your knowledge of depth of field. Well, what if I don't have any knowledge of depth of field? Okay, don't worry, don't worry. She explains. Let me talk to you about depth of field when you're taking pictures. People have talked to you maybe about the aperture of their camera? Uh, no. Well, essentially, the aperture is like a hole or an opening that light travels through. And by making that hole bigger or smaller is how you can control the depth of field in a picture. 
the smaller numbers produce a shorter depth of field. So if you were to put the aperture to like eight, then you might have the person close to you in focus, but the background would be blurry. And then the larger numbers, like if you put it on 22 on my camera, for example, means that you get a longer depth of field, which would allow a wide range of distance to be in focus at once. Right. You know how people take portraits sometimes and like just their faces are. Yeah. And then the background's all blurry and lovely and it feels magical. Man, I have uh, tried a bunch of ideas for Ali's challenge and just nothing has panned out so far. I tried some furry snow boots next to some flip flops and that was boring. I did cactus with frost in the background. All these are Soyuz things, you know, hot and cold. Also bad. Uh, so now I'm just standing around and waiting for Taylor to finish up a shoot. Uh, we're up at a local winery right now. I might just steal her wine glasses after she's done with them. Okay, so set up some wine glasses, because wine country and all that. And in the background, I've got a Swiss lake, and also the spot where Moss proposed to me. So, aw, representation, a Soyuz. But what I need to do now is I need to get the focus and the whole, like, depth of field thing. So I want the glasses to be focused and then the background blurry, but, like, not too blurry. It might be too cheesy, but I think it's good. Next up, we'll be speaking with Ali's husband, actually. I'm Justin Holmes. I am currently a programmer. Um, I'm six foot two. I like pictures of vaginas. <laughs> Ali said I could swear. Justin isn't a professional photographer, but he has a lot of experience and a lot of knowledge about the craft. I started photography sometime in my teens. I'm not really sure exactly when, but my dad gave me this old Olympus OM-10, which is like this camera from, I don't know, years gone by, probably like the 80s or something, maybe even the 70s. I don't know how old my dad is. But um, film was fairly cheap back then, so I started taking a lot of pictures. Most of them were just of things like my friends. Some of them were attempts at being artistic, but most of the time I was just documenting places that I went and people that I saw and stuff like that. Uh, it was before digital cameras were invented, so it was the only way to take pictures, so I had to learn how to use a film camera. And it was pretty low-tech. Uh, it didn't have a flash. You had to set everything manually. There was no autofocus. You had to focus every picture you wanted to take. You had to set up the light meter. You had to set the aperture and the focus and the um, whatever that other thing is that you need to set on cameras. I was still pretty into it going into university, and um, I actually took a course on photography in university. Unfortunately, it was mostly things I already knew. It was kind of an introductory photography course. The reason I took it was because it was during the summer semester, and it was one of the only courses available, and I got an A+, plus because I already knew everything about cameras at that point. But Justin's appreciation of photography hasn't motivated his personal career. It's, it's not that I'm not interested in photography anymore. I just don't do it that much. We do have a pretty nice uh, digital SLR camera now that takes really nice pictures. I've got something like 5,000 pictures of my honeymoon in uh, Eastern Europe. Like many people these days, Justin is inundated beneath an overwhelming torrent of pictures. But does the prevalence of easily accessible photography dilute the art form? Everybody has access to paint, but that doesn't make everybody an artist. <laughs> I think that digital photography has probably done more harm to the audience of photography than to the art form itself. Hmm. People see probably 
I don't know. I'm guessing I look at at least 500 photographs a day just on the Internet and on Facebook and things like that. And I click through them pretty quickly. I don't stop to look at them very often. Mm-hmm. Although I wouldn't say most of those are art um, or they're not trying to be art anyway. They're just sort of documentation of the world. But I think that that has lessened people's um, appreciation for actual artful photography. What uh, what does make you stop when you see a picture? What makes you pause on a photo? If it's particularly well composed or um, has uh, interesting colors or textures or contrasts. Justin uses his skills in a pragmatic fashion. He's the person you hand the camera to if you want a good shot of your family on vacation. For him, photography is a practical skill, although he does occasionally use it for pleasure. We grew up in the wilderness, so I like taking a lot of wilderness photos, landscapes, um, whenever I can catch a bird <laughs> and tie it to a stick and then take a picture of it, I guess. I mean, catch a bird and with the camera. I don't think I'd want to take pictures as a job. It's just a hobby, basically. Mm-hmm. That said, do you feel like you are better off for having learnt the skills of photography when you were younger? Yeah, for sure. It changes how you see the world. You need to develop your eye, as they always say. It's hard to describe, but when you're looking for pictures to take, you look at the world a completely different way than when you're just sort of walking around, going about your day-to-day life. Um, You're more critical, looking for angles and lines, contrast, interesting lighting. Even when you don't have a camera with you, you can look at something people might normally pass by as mundane and say, that's that's interesting. There he is, our everyman. Skilled in technique and appreciation, and using those skills to just live his life. Justin really shows that photography isn't merely an artistic medium, it's an extension of how we view the world. Thanks, Justin. Okay, Moss, what does Justin have for us? What's his challenge? I would like you guys to take pictures at night if they have to be outdoors. So you can't you can't just be indoors at night and take a picture. That doesn't count. And if I can see the stars, then you get bonus points. Ah. Uh... So uh, good luck with that, because <laughs> that's really hard. <laughs> Why, Justin? Why do you do these things to us? It is super hard to take pictures at night, unless we just take flat pictures of the sky with just like a few stars punctuating the darkness tastefully. It sounds like art to me. I mean, you can't just be black. I need it to be an actual photo. You could do like man standing in trench coat near street lamp, but, you know, it's that's been done. Ah, crap. I'll get my coat. So I'm outside. It's nighttime, and it's really cold, and I'm currently kneeling on the ground of the parking lot outside our house in the dirt, waiting for Moss to turn on all the house lights like I asked him to a while ago, because I want to take a picture of the house with all the lights on. The moon's out, so that's good. I can see stars, so bonus points. Um, Justin's techniques, I think, uh, were kind of useful. 
I can do maybe conceptually a technique, not not highly technical. Is this like some legendary, like mythic technique? <laughs> yeah, is this like very the, difficult? Is this the thing where the samurai like stabs through himself to hit the guy behind him, basically? Yes, it's the three-eyed technique, where the camera is actually your third eye. <laughs> you don't look through the camera; you push it through your forehead, and <laughs> it takes the best picture. Yeah, so turns out that's that's not a real thing. Now I know that. Oh, okay. Um, Moss has the lights on. Oh, and the moon has clouds. The moon has clouds in front of it. So I'm going to get to work. So Taylor's done her picture, and it's really good. So now I'm out wandering the streets of Asoyus, uh, looking for something that can top it. The trick that I'm facing now is... Uh, just getting a picture that looks good without doing that grainy thing that low-light photography always does. So if you want to take a really good picture, what you're going to want to do is get a thing called Photoshop, and then take any picture and then make it good. <laughs> I mean, back in the day when you were shooting film, when they had color film, um, there's different grades of it, so be different ISOs, which is how sensitive it is to light. Different ISOs were different light sensitivities, so it corresponds to the actual size of the granule of silver nitrate or oxide. I don't remember exactly what it is. Stuff that is light sensitive. The lower the ISO, the smaller the grains are, which means that you're going to get a higher definition photograph. However, you need a lot of light. So the higher the ISO, the bigger those grains are, the more light they can hit each grain, meaning it will respond to light better. However, the picture will be really grainy because you'll see these big blobs. Digital cameras sort of do the same thing, except for they just sort of approximate it. So I've got some shots of a fountain, and I fiddled with the ISO to make it look bright without being grainy or blurry. But the street lamps are making everything look orange, so I'm just trying to play with the colors now. This is a lot harder than shooting in the day when everything's just sort of, you know, bright and and blue. Um, so the sky's blue, and when you're outside, everything is reflecting light from the sky, so everything looks kind of blue. Um, you can't see this because your eyes actually adjust to different lighting conditions to make everything seem like it's the right color. If you lie down on the ground on a sunny day and close your eyes for a while, all you'll see is red because the inside of your eyes are red when the light shines through them. And when you open your eyes, your eyes will have adjusted to try to compensate for the amount of red coming in. And when you look around, everything looks really, really blue. So things like incandescent bulbs and fire are yellowish. Anyway, <laughs> your digital camera <laughs> will probably have several settings. Indoors, I don't know, snowy day which is uh, compensates for everything being extra white by adding some contrast and making the snow look white instead of blue. So the different digital camera settings are effectively a way of doing color balance? Yeah. If you set it to indoor, it'll compensate for orange? Yeah, that's pretty much what it's doing. And so, I don't know, you could experiment with that, trying different color modes in the incorrect lighting and seeing if you get some interesting results. I think I've got my shot, which is good because I'm now super wet from the fountain and very, very cold. Finally, our last artist is a familiar voice. Hello. Oh, hello, Jennifer. <laughs> How's it going? It's Jennifer Cook, the artist who crafted our logo in the first episode. 
We brought Jen in because her extensive experience with visual arts extends to photography as well as drawing, animation, and design. Like many of our artists, Jen's love for photography started in high school. I happened to go to a high school that had an amazing photography program. We had incredible darkroom facilities, both black and white and color, which is totally unheard of. Yeah, I went through and really liked being hands-on with photographs, um, the whole experience of being in a dark room and manipulating images and seeing them appear magically underneath the chemicals, you know, these <laughs> trays of chemicals and like, you know, this blank page turns into an image before your eyes, basically. Yeah, I uh, continued on and I've done photography and been elements of my practice when I went to university has to study art. I'm definitely one of these people who often has a camera in hand if I'm attending events, even at my work, I mean, and also in my personal life. Uh, I find there's very few pictures of myself because I'm usually the one wielding the camera. <sighs> it's a hard life for people like us, Jen. Oh, hold your tongue. I've been having fun getting a little bit back into film rather than digital, which has been really neat. I uh, got my hands on a little Holga. <laughs> That's a fun word. Yeah, Holga. <laughs> Lomography? No, no, you lost me. <laughs> um, lomography is, uh, they've resurfaced all these, what were originally toy cameras that actually are very poor cameras. <laughs> They're all made of entirely plastic parts, and including their lenses, which means they can be produced really cheaply. But uh, the artists became really enthusiastic about these cameras. Holga's just one of them. What they love about them is there's a little bit of an element of indeterminacy about photographs that they take. Because uh, there's light leaks, there's imperfections about the camera itself that uh, makes the end result, you know, a little bit more out of your hands, you know? There's not quite <laughs> much control over the image, and you get these happy accidents and more of that excitement about the end result. But Jen isn't always content to let the camera call the shots. She has a passion for creating art, not just capturing it as it exists in the world. What this often means is that her work has a tinge of theatricality to it. I think that's something that appeals to me across the arts. Trying to imagine different possibilities to create art rather than recreating life. You know, whether it's uh, paintings that are hyper real or super realistic drawings. Uh, personally, it doesn't have a, a huge appeal for me. For me, I really love making art and I love looking at art that really delves into something that I haven't seen before, you know, that I can't walk up to in real life and experience with my own eyes. Uh, I like to see people getting imaginative uh, and showing me a little bit, you know, the, their own mind's eye and like revealing that to me with their art. Hmm. That's really cool. I think you're you're totally onto something. I mean, because photography is this wonderfully accurate representation of the real world, it's so easy to have it imitate reality. But I think that changing that to sort of create something within, I feel like it's almost more poignant than drawing something fantastical because you've sort of created you this. Be very familiar, strange. You exactly. Know, nature of it copies exactly what's in front of the lens. But if you can make that strange and some way less familiar like that's doing something like really creating something different with the medium you've done something impossible right yeah to me it's, it's a little bit like what it must have been like to see animation for the first time it's like you just got used to the idea of moving pictures like you know people were having so much fun with it yeah, they were doing the impossible <laughs> doing the impossible isn't that kind of the gift of photography 
It allows us to capture things that are real and also to create the impossible. Jen's pictures range from scenes with unearthly lighting, from living statues to magician's vanishing acts, all caught on film without post-processing. She believes that a fantastic picture can be staged and that a sense of theatricality can bring a certain element of excitement to any scene. I love how Jen finally gave a different side of the picture. What do you mean? Well, everyone we've spoken to has been pretty clear with their opinions about how to photograph people. Yeah, that word candid did come up quite a bit, didn't it? I almost exclusively take candid shots right now. Candid shots of people. I like taking pictures of people when they're not aware that a picture is being taken. That moment where they've forgotten that I'm there with the camera. Makes sense that everybody would say this. I mean, nothing is worse than that really awkward stage shot where everyone's just staring at the camera. It just doesn't look lifelike. But it is nice to hear the other side of the story actually advocating for something a little bit more constructed. So it's nice to know that if we want to, we can just pose our subjects like puppets and photograph them looking all stiff and unrealistic. I'm not really sure that's what Jennifer was getting at. Mm, I'm pretty sure it was. So what's she given us then? The last challenge. This is it, Taylor. This is challenge number five. I don't know if I'm doing so well so far. Are you ready? Yes. I guess a project that sort of rolls in some of the discussion we were having earlier. Uh, I'd like you to go out and take a picture that makes the familiar strange in the way that you shoot it somehow. Why does everyone do this to us? Because they hate us, Taylor. Have fun with that. <laughs> All right. Everyday objects made to look strange. So I've just been kind of walking around looking at things. Uh, Moss is lying on his back in the other room taking pictures of a ceiling light. Yo! It looks super cool. I've been playing with the aperture and the white balance, and I've got it looking really good. Yeah, whatever. Uh, we can leave him to that. Um, mm, I'm kind of looking for something with like texture that I can shoot really close. And I have a flashlight with me so I can create some different lighting effects, because I figured that good lighting is going to be absolutely key to this contest. It's perfectly fitting that already at least two people have talked about light. After all, that is what the medium is about. You know, you capture light and, you know, using light in photography to its utmost is, I mean, what it's all about. Using light behind subjects, I mean, you have to be careful. You know, everyone's shot a picture of somebody standing in front of a window, and all you get is the light coming in the window and the person's totally dark. But, I mean, shooting portraits of people, if you get just a little bit of highlight right behind their head, it illuminates their hair and creates this gorgeous halo effect. Things like shooting outside is really quite challenging because how do you get light both in front and behind your subject at the same time? And this is why it's so hard to shoot in the middle of the day and much easier to shoot and much better. I mean, you just create more dramatic light effects by shooting in the afternoon, late afternoon, or in the early morning because you get light at angles. You know, the light is lower in the sky. It's coming at a diagonal at your subject. You can have it hitting part of the subject's face while also hitting the side of their head, illuminating their hair. And also the greatest depth. You're really creating just enough light and shadow play that you can see how, say, round a figure is, you know, rather than making them flatter. So I've been photographing um, the small stack of books and a cricket ball, which just happen to be sitting next to each other on our shelf. And it's really neat how just changing the angle of the light can make a totally different mood to the shot. 
this is what's so cool. You create different feelings by different kinds of light, too. You shoot somebody with light coming from below. They look really haunting because there's shadows cast by their cheekbones. And suddenly their eyes look all shadowy and ominous. Uh, portrait photographers use is like nice even light all around light shooting up from the hat back you like drop a little like highlight on the top of their head to illuminate their hair and you have beautiful portrait photography conditions so there's lots of lots to be learned about how do you use and manipulate light to get the most out of your subjects by the end of two days we had both taken hundreds of pictures And yet from those masses, we each chose one picture for each contest that we would submit to our judging panel. Five artists, each with their own specialties. They are the five pillars of this art form, and together they form our judging panel. From event photography and cinematic storytelling, Andrew. Hello. From lifestyle photography and naughty things, Christy. Hello. From the dark room. Allie. Hi. From the sort of cynical world of everyday photography, Justin. Donata. From the realm of the theatrical and illusory, Jennifer. Uh-huh. Judges, combine! I'm helping. I can help. So, the judging. We submitted our photos to the judges in pairs, and each judge will give one point to the winner of each photo duel. The judge who assigned that challenge, though, gives two points to their photographer of choice. We've randomized the order, and we'll begin with Ellie's challenge, first explaining our own picture for the audience. We'll use a chord from a MIDI-synthesized tango accordion to indicate when I get a point. When Taylor gets a point, yeah. Now, the pictures. My first shot is of a wine glass lying in a fire pit. Scorched logs lie all around it, as well as dead leaves. The nearest parts of the foreground are blurred out, as well as the far background. The center of the picture, with the bowl of the glass, is very sharp and clear. Two glasses of wine, one red, one white, sit on a table overlooking a view of mountains and a lake. The glasses of wine are in focus, the view is not. Let's hear from Allie. You've both taken similar pictures in a way, which is interesting. Moss, your picture, I really liked the way the glass was reflective on the burned tree. You know, it made me think maybe like Okanagan forest fires. Not sure if you were going for that. Taylor's picture, I think, does a really good job of depth of field in that the glasses are really sharp and her background is kind of fuzzy. Uh, I could really see this picture being used in some kind of like a Soyuz wine tour promotional material. So this was a really hard competition. I think they're both good, but I'm going to go with Taylor's photo on this one. Yay! And what did the others say? On the first pair, I got to give the edge to Moss's picture. I think Taylor's the winner of this set for me. I think in general, I like the two wine glasses on the ledge more. The For Moss's out of these two, I choose as winner. The score is four to two in my favor, and now we'll move on to the photos we took for Andrew. We're looking at a picture of a Soyuz gazing out a window. The frame of the window creates a sort of border to the photo. We're looking down a street with power lines, low buildings, and cars. It is a quiet town, a simple town. On the ledge of the window sits a pair of binoculars slightly out of focus. What does it mean? There are two horses standing in a field that looks like a scene from the Wild West. The horses sit on the vertical lines of the Law of Thirds. In the background, there is a lake and a town. The foreground of the picture is in focus, and it gently blurs the farther it gets away. 
Andrew? Uh, well, on this one, I got to give you the edge again, Moss, because I, I could immediately formulate a story, which, you know, could be a weird fellow with spies on his town or something. Whereas uh, Taylor's was out of focus deer in a field. <laughs> I, I couldn't quite grasp the story there. Longing story of two deer. Horses. Horses. See, I couldn't even connect with the characters. Well, maybe the other judges will respond better. And I'm going to go with your picture, Moss. You know, the one with uh, where you're looking through the window, enjoying the frame within a frame fact there. I think that's my winner for this one. The two horses, or at least I think they're horses. I can't see their heads, but I assume that they're horses. I think I like that one more again. Sorry, Moss. Hey, I would say Taylor won this one. <laughs> Moss is caught up and we both have six points. Maybe Jennifer's challenge will break this tie. For my photo for Jen, I've captured a single globe of light sitting in the center of the frame. A faint bloom of illumination radiates out from the light, picking up ridges of texture. Most of the image is darkness, simple light and shadow. A close macro shot of a stack of four books ascending like a staircase. The right side of the photo is in darkness and the left side is in light. The words across the spines of the book fade into the darkness. Behind the books is a blurred red ball, creating a contrast of red ball and blue books. Help me out, Jen. So this is the familiar made strange. I guess you're going for a little, like, moon and night sky with a light thing. Moss, you know what you could have done to make this one stronger? Rule of thirds, man. It's just got, it's a little bit more dynamic because you have those strong diagonals right through the picture and... I guess these look a little bit like stairs. Books that look like stairs. I love books out of their covers, out of the dust jackets, personally. I like those woven covers, like the fabric covers. I'm gonna have to go with Taylor's. Oh, yeah. And do the rest agree? I'm going with your picture, Taylor. Uh, on this one, I'm gonna, I'm gonna give the nod to Taylor. Uh, I really, really like her picture in this one. The light. I don't want to be too harsh, but it seems like a picture like a six-year-old girl would take when she got her first camera or something. It's like a picture of someone's feet. At the same time, because of the fact that it's very clear and I like the texture of the ceiling, I do think I like the light more than the books. And in this one, I'm going to have to give it to Taylor again. A landslide. I now have 11 points to Moss's seven. And now for Justin's night shots, just to solidify my lead. A triple-masted fountain with brass rings above it stretches up towards the heavens, pointing up towards a tiny, solitary moon. A single star gleams in the top right corner. The fountain is illuminated by a nearby street lamp, and the water splashing down is captured in the moment. At the base of the shot, the distant lights of the town twinkle. A night shot of a three-story townhouse tilted up into the sky at a slightly ominous, cartoonish angle. All the lights of the house are on and a glow emanates from the windows. In the top window, a tiny face peeks out. Hello. Above the house is a black sky with a few stars and the moon with a spooky cloud over it. Justin, I need this. So the first one with the um, fountain. I think it's interesting because the fountain is, well, not just because, but because the fountain is also interesting. And I like the fact that the exposure was a bit longer than it would normally be because it's so dark that you can get the movement of the water across it 
looking at the lights in the background, it looks like they're all sort of U-shaped, which looks like the camera was moving a little bit while the shutter was open. Going to the house, uh, I like the crazy thing that the moon's doing with the clouds. It looks sort of like northern lights or like haunted ghost story moon or something like that. And actually, that's sort of the vibe I get from the whole picture, except for the fact that the house is so bright and all the lights are on. I like the bloom, so you're getting some natural lens flare. I like the fact that you can see the stars, and this one is pretty sharp. It doesn't look like the camera moved at all while the picture is being taken. And I also see moss in the window, which is kind of funny. <laughs> but I don't think ads or detracts from it, really. <laughs> Judging between the two of these, I think I like the house more. The rest will be on my side, too. I'm going to go with Moss's picture because I think it was harder to light. This one, this one I'm I, having a tough time with. See, I, I almost feel like this picture should have been Taylor's entry in my competition because I, I feel way more story out of this one. But who will you vote for? Well, I, I, I think I'm voting for yours just because I find it more visually interesting. Uh, I like what you did with the water in that one. And these fountains at night. It's actually very well captured. Yeah, I'm going to go with the with the three fountains, yeah. We have the light on the fountains and then the city lights behind it. So the moon's better in hers, but um, I think yours is a little bit uh, nudged ahead out of the two of those. So Moss wins that one. <laughs> what? Hmm. As we move on to the final set of pictures, I have 13 points, and Moss has 11. It's anybody's game. As we move on to the photos of each other we took for Christy. For Christy's contest, I've taken a picture of Taylor. She's sitting on a couch. She's holding a cup of tea. She's reading a tatty old book. She's laughing, because she likes the book, I guess. The colors are a warm peach, and there is a clutter of junk in the background, like cords and plant stems and lamps, but, you know, in a good way. It makes it look cozy. This is a picture of moss with a yellow textured background. Moss is over on the left side of the picture, creating an angled, slightly off-kilter composition. He has his black-rimmed glasses, and he's got a dark gray blanket wrapped around his shoulders. He looks slightly uncomfortable, a little bit not quite sure what to do with himself. It is a very natural expression. Let's hear it, Christy. This was my assignment, and I think you guys both did a pretty good job of it. Um, you look a bit more awkward in the picture that Taylor took of you, but I think that might be part of your true self. <laughs> um, you're up in my face, this is what I look like face is, is quite real there. I think as far as that component of it goes, you both did a great job of taking a picture of the other person as they are to you. It's interesting because I can see consistency is where her composition is very consistently the same. Like she leaves a lot out of pictures and crams a lot into the frame. Um, you kind of centered her here, sort of breaking the breaking the rule of thirds. And there's some kind of clutter in the background again that also I would have liked to see a bit more shallow of a depth of field so I don't see cords and stuff in the background or a plant growing out of her head. The the coloring in Taylor's picture is much better, presumably because it was taken outdoors and yours was taken indoors. I think she did a better job with the catch lights that we talked about. Um, I can see the highlights in your eyes, so that's nice. Um, but I think I'm going to give this one to you because I prefer 
the composition of it being a bit further back. I like that she's doing something else in the photo um, that she would just normally be doing. Whereas the one she took of you is a little bit more, I'm having my photo taken. Um, so you just barely nudged ahead of her on that one. But I think she did an excellent job. And the other judges? I'm going with Taylor's picture of Moth. Andrew? And again, I give the point to you. You're going to have to go with Taylor's portrait of Moss. I think I like the picture of Moss more. So Taylor's picture, I guess. Aha! I have a chance. Even though it's 16 to 14 for me. Yeah, but there's one more thing, Taylor. We asked each judge to pick their MVP. Ah, the most viewable picture. So for one bonus point from each judge, let's hear their selections. My favorite picture is the portrait of Moth. Uh, Okay, my MVP is from Jen's competition, and it is Taylor's entry. Most viewable picture. Mm -hmm. I go with the the fountains shot. I'd say it's pretty close between the house and... Well, actually, no. (laughs) It's not close at all. But my two favorite ones are the horses and the house. But the house is my favorite one. Well, I think, unfortunately, I have to give Taylor's photo the MVP. I think I like her book photo the best. No! (laughs) Taylor, 20. Moss, 15. (laughs) Oh, yay. I am so happy. Uh, Well... It was a fantastic trip. I feel like I actually learned quite a bit about photography here. Yeah, me too. It was actually pretty awesome. The judges were really good. They gave some excellent advice, uh, not all of which we put in, or else it would have been a five-hour podcast. (laughs) Thank you, Justin. Thank you, Allie. Thank you, Christy. Thank you, Jen. And thank you, Andrew. You can find more information about each of our guests on our website, as well as detailed information about the scoring, and also you can see the photographs that we actually took for this. You can scope out our portfolios, you know, just for fun. Oh, and another quick thank you to the artist known as Olav. Once again, he has provided us with a fantastic score, completely non-profit, and this is, this is how we pay him. We pay him with thanks. And love. We love you, Olav. We love you, Olav. Please continue making music that we can use. Remember that you can find his work at olav.bandcamp.com, and you can even pay him money there, which is something that we don't do. Well, thank you very much, everybody, for listening to our show once again. Thank you! If you do enjoy the show, please let us know. You can send us an email. Um, Where's my... You really can send us an email. Moss is stalling, but... Where's my notes? You can send us an email at makeitpodcast at gmail.com, or you can comment on our Facebook page or on our website, makeitpodcast.wordpress.com. And you really should. We like to hear things. We're also now officially on iTunes, which means that you can search and subscribe to us through iTunes. And the exciting part is you can also rate and comment on our show in iTunes. And the better you rate us and the more you comment the higher we rank in iTunes, which is very exciting. In iTunes. Yeah, I said exciting. that. You did say that. I- iTunes is the world, right? <laughs> iTunes is the world. <laughs> song. Um, all right. Well, thanks. Thanks, 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 people. Thanks, world of iTunes. 
Have have a good one. Have a great one. Make it.